Well, this morning we have a special privilege to hear from Marilyn Borst. Um, you know, several, a few months ago now, uh, we knew that the VBS was going to be, um, uh, the theme was going to be Babylon, and so uh, we started talking about it as a staff and realized that maybe it would be a good time for us to do uh, uh, the whole summer on Daniel. Uh, Daniel, which took place within the Babylonian Empire, so that's what we've been doing. We have just a couple more weeks of looking at, at the book of Daniel. It's been a great study. And as I was kind of thinking about that even more, uh, one of the questions that came to my mind was, well, what is happening in kind of, you know, modern day Babylonia, if you will, which is kind of in Iraq and um, even in parts of Syria. Uh, and as I thought about that, I realized that there would be nobody better to come and talk to us than, than somebody who is there a fair amount. And so that's why we've asked uh, Marilyn Borst, who is from the Outreach Foundation, an organization that we have uh, supported for, um, for almost 20 years now. Uh, and she is going to come in and talk to us a little bit more about what God is doing and about why it is that we are called to think about the Christians that are all across the globe, not just the ones who come here to ZPC. Amen? Amen. And so, Marilyn, thank you for coming up here. If, if, uh, if, you're, if your appetite, no, come on up. If your appetite is whetted uh, enough um, right after this, um, she will be talking uh, up in room 202. And so I invite you to come and hear even more. And there are Damascan sweets. Bet you didn't have that yet today, did you? No, not uh, most of us. So, Marilyn, please come and join us, and let's welcome Marilyn uh, this morning. So. Often when I stand up to preach in places that I'm not familiar with, I call to mind the church in Pakistan. That's why I just took off my shoes, because if I was ascending to the pulpit to open the Word of God... In a Presbyterian church in Pakistan, I would leave my shoes on the floor to stand on the holy ground before God's word. And I call to mind as we came um, fairly early this morning, Jerry and I, to get me ready for this morning as your congregation prepared with the coffee pot was bubbling and people were unveiling the wonderful mini boxes of fresh donuts. God bless you for those fresh donuts, by the way. And, you know, people were starting to, uh, to get behind all of your welcome booths and kind of get organized for the day. I reflect upon um, the stories that I know of the church in Pakistan and the story that is told by my friend, Reverend Sabergil, Sabergul, who is pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Gujranwala, Pakistan. Probably a place you're not familiar with, but it is where the seminary that trains pastors for 400,000 Presbyterians in Pakistan get their training. It is also a city that is traditionally a hotbed of um, unrest when there are waves of protests, when there are attacks against Christians in Pakistan, often that emanates from the city of Gujranwala, and what, right in the center of that is a big Presbyterian church. And Sabargul talks about how one of the things that happens every Sunday as they prepare for worship is before anyone arrives, a bomb squad comes and scans under the pews. And before anybody arrives, an ambulance and a fire truck pull up in front of the church to be ready every Sunday. This is how Christians prepare in Pakistan 
in one of the most difficult places to be a Christian. It's, a, I think, a helpful reminder of the cost of discipleship that is paid by the global church, but it is also a reminder of the lessons that we have to learn from the church that models perseverance, that perseverance that Paul talks about, that we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. We are part of a big, boisterous family of faith, dear people of God. And before getting into some stories to tell you about the family of faith that you may not know yet that you have, I want to start with a word of thanks to this congregation because for 18 years, Zionsville Presbyterian Church has been a partner of the Outreach Foundation. Outreach Foundation was founded 40 years ago as an independent mission organization founded by Presbyterian pastors to help congregations go deeper and further into God's work around the world by coming alongside the church that Christ has planted in various parts of the globe. And you have been a valuable partner in supporting the work of Christ in places like Brazil, in Egypt, in Iraq, and very recently in Syria as well. One of the things that you may not know is that about, a, about two months ago, your session made uh, an incredible decision, and that was to use some of the financial surplus that your church had at the end of last year to make a gift to the Outreach Foundation in support of a vision of the Presbyterian Church in Syria that they never thought they would be able to realize, particularly after seven years of war. And that is a vision to build in Syria a small conference retreat center where pastors and youth groups and women's groups could come to be refreshed in God's word and to be equipped for God's mission that the church was being called to. And your congregation has made a generous gift in support of that. I also have another word of thanks, and that is to thank you for the gift of your pastor, Jerry Deck, um, who is part of our board of trustees for the Outreach Foundation, giving his wisdom and his wit and his energy and his vision for God's work. And we rejoice that Jerry is part of the Presbyterian family, which technically, by the way, makes Jerry my boss. So please say nice things about me to him if you are so led. But it is family that I want to talk about today. And the passage that I want to share with you is a passage from Romans 8. And usually what you have on your screen, I know, is actually the text of Scripture, but I want you to look into the face of part of the big boisterous family that you may not know that we have. You are looking at fellow Presbyterians, young adults from Syria, who gather every year about this time of year from all over the 18 Presbyterian churches in Syria. They come together for their conference, a time of equipping, of fellowship, of going deep into God's Word, of kind of strengthening to go back into their universities, into their jobs, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, even in this place of war that we associate with Syria. 
This passage that I'm going to read to you is from Romans 8, which is a chapter that in many ways is a great homage to the Holy Spirit, that sort of elusive third person of the Trinity that sometimes we almost forget about because he is so elusive, and yet Romans 8 talks much about the Spirit and about what the Holy Spirit does. And in this particular passage, Romans 8, 14 through 17, we have a wonderful distillation of Trinitarian theology where Father, Son, Holy Spirit are wed together in a beautiful interwoven tapestry, a dance as it were. And so hear how often the words of, or the name of the Holy Spirit is mentioned and how one one of the role he plays is knitting us into this family of faith. So I read from Romans 8, beginning in verse 14, where Paul writes to the church, and keep in mind, this is the audience. Everything that Paul says, all of Scripture, is suitable for our edification and for our guidance and for our personal walk of faith. But Paul, first and foremost, is writing to the church, the community. And this is what he writes, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, your inclusion into, into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies, gives witness, proves to our spirit that we are God's children. We are part of that family. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Friends, that is kind of an inconvenient truth, is it not? that if we are to share in Christ's glory, and I'm all about that, by the way, sounds like a really good thing to anticipate. But Paul says, wait a minute, there is a prerequisite to sharing in the glory of Christ. You must also share in his suffering. I found that a really puzzling word of Paul. And it's not the first time that Paul says it when he talks about suffering. He makes it very clear that it's not just something that might happen. It is something that is a necessity of our faith because it is what Christ himself did. One of the things that troubled me about this passage for a long time is recognizing that Paul, as he writes to the church, how do we live that out as the church in North America? In other words, what if we are not the church that has been called to suffer? How do we participate in the suffering of Christ? The answer to this came for me very helpfully and with great revelation from a pastor who served the church in Jerusalem his entire life. Michel Sabah at that time was the Latin Catholic patriarch of the church in Jerusalem, had served the church in a difficult place, in a suffering place. 
And his beatitude, as he would be known at that time, stood in the pulpit of First Presbyterian Church of Houston, looked out at our well-heeled congregation as I look out at you, and said, if you are not the church that has been called to suffer, go find the church that is suffering and stand with it. Go find the church that is suffering and stand with it. An inconvenient truth. Now there is one level of standing with the church in suffering places, and it's not one to be minimized. We stand with the church that is suffering to the extent that we enter into prayer with them and for them as you do through this wonderful prayer ministry that I've learned about for the church in the Middle East and North Africa. We participate in the suffering of the church to alleviate it to the extent that we release our financial gifts that support and undergird Sometimes their very existence, but certainly their mission and ministry. But as worthwhile, as, an, as important as those things are, as transformational as those things are, they still stop short of being incarnational. And that, again, unfortunately, is the model that Christ set for us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or in the wonderful words of Eugene Peterson, his interpretation in the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Being incarnation with the global church in difficult places is not only a great challenge, but it is also one that comes with a great blessing. Because I am pleased and, and honored and um, joyful to be called into service alongside the global church in difficult places and to bring people with me into those places. Be afraid, be very afraid, because the invitation may come. I want to share with you just a few stories, a few insights into things that I have learned about what happens when we are privileged to be present with our family of faith around the world. And I begin with this one. When we are present with family, we help carry the burden of difficulty, even for a short period of time. When we gather with family, we carry the burden of difficulties with them, just as we do when we show up to our family by blood, when they are in difficult circumstances, when they are ill, when there has been a death, when there is a broken marriage, a teenage child that has gone off the rails. We show up. When we show up to our global family of faith, we do so to carry their burden for a period of time. And when we do it repeatedly, we know a little bit of what that burden is, and we can carry it even more fully with them. This picture was taken not long ago, maybe last week, when I was in Lebanon. The person on the right there wearing fuchsia is my good friend and constant traveling companion with the Outreach Foundation, Julie Burgess, who is a mission leader at West Hills Presbyterian Church in Omaha. 
And we were at our fifth year in a row, a conference, a women's conference being held in Lebanon in a beautiful retreat center owned by the National Evangelical Synod of Syria and Lebanon, our Presbyterian family there, who every year, the last week in July, gathered together, extended invitation to the Presbyterian churches in Lebanon and Syria to come together for a week where we live life together, we go deep into God's word, we sing exuberantly, we dance awkwardly in those Middle East rhythms that are not you know, inherent to our Western sense of rhythm. We drink endless small cups of coffee and eat way too many sweets from Damascus, which you can do this afternoon if you so choose. It is a wonderful time, but as we gather there year after year, these unfamiliar faces suddenly become family. They become familiar. Hanan and Chara, who you see here, are members of the Presbyterian Church in Damascus. They don't look a whole lot different than you or I. This is family. These are family. And what you don't see in their joyous faces is the life that they have lived over seven years of war in Syria, the fact that their own church received two rounds of mortars on different occasions destroying parts of the church, the fact that they have lived without water, without electricity for weeks, for months at a time, and yet the mission and ministry of the church still goes on. Their personal walk of life is joyful, and when they see us, Unexplicably, they light up like Christmas trees because suddenly family has come together to carry that burden for just a small period of time. And we are all the more blessed, Julie and I, the women who come with me, to be in the presence of those who model perseverance. When we are present to family, we can help carry the burden just for a little bit of time. When we are present to our family, we also can join in the celebration of life's milestones. Just as, again, as we with family of blood show up when there is a new birth, when there is a wedding, when there is a graduation, we want to be present for the joyous celebration of the extension and the success of the family. This picture taken in Egypt with one of the exuberant pastors of the Synod of the Nile, our Presbyterian family in that part of the world, which, by the way, this church has supported generously through the years, particularly the support of the Evangelical Theological Seminary in Cairo, ETSC, of which this pastor, Reverend Wael, is a graduate. He, by the way, always looks that exuberant. I've never seen him not smiling that broadly. But this is a wonderful story of what the church in Egypt is doing, not only extending its reach in planting new churches, yes, within a Muslim context, but it is also reviving old churches that had dwindled to a precious few. The church that Wael was sent to revive, very appropriately speaking to a church whose name begins with a Z, Wael pastors the church in Zagazig. Hey, wouldn't that be a cool partnership? Zionsville and Zagazig, that just comes trippingly off the tongue, would make a great bumper sticker, wouldn't it? Wael, pastor of Zagazig, a historic Presbyterian church, has been there for over a hundred years, but in a very difficult part of Egypt, 
At um, Pastor Wael's church, there is also always an armed guard that stands out front supplied by the government because Zagazig is one of the um, kind of the, the home zones for the Muslim Brotherhood, near, need I say more. And yet here, this church is going through a revival. You can see Wael there with his arms around the young children coming from this neighborhood around Zagazig. It, the church is coming back to life through the energy and the vision of this young pastor. And when we are present to the family there for a little bit of time, we can celebrate this new birth, this rebirth of the church, this great milestone. When we are present to the family, what is essential to all family gatherings, of course, is food, to share a meal together as we are about to do here of this holy meal that we will share as we gather around this endless table. And the story that I want to share with you is a story taken from the Presbyterian Church in Iraq. I first traveled to Iraq in 1998, um, and I'll never forget the first time someone called me about going to Iraq, my friend Jim Jennings. I was on staff at First Presbyterian Church in Houston at that time, and I can still remember sitting at my desk at First Pres. The phone rang. Jim Jennings was on the line, and he said to me, Marilyn, would you like to go to Iraq with me? And my mouth said, why, yes, my head was doing well. No, I don't think so. That's what I want to do. And I said to Jim, you know, I would love to do that, but I don't think I can get permission for that because I'm about ready to take a group to the Holy Land. I'll be gone too long, blah, 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 blah. But I will go ask, knowing for sure that my boss, Reverend Vic Pence, who I was working for, would turn me down. And so I dutifully hung up from Jim. I said, let me go check on it, knowing that Vic was going to turn me down, hoping that Vic would say, no, of course you can't do that. And I walked into his office, and I still remember, this is 1998, he was eating a spinach salad. I mean, this was kind of one of those Kairos moments. I didn't know what it was, but I sat down and I said, Vic, I've got a really kind of odd question for you. I've been asked to go to Iraq. You don't think I should, should you? And Vic said, Oh, I think you should. And that was the slippery slope to my love affair with the Presbyterian Church in Iraq, 1998. Fast forward through years of war and insurgency, the picture that you see here was taken in 2011. And standing behind the communion table are four pastors, Mark Mueller, Chris Weichman, Elmarie Parker, Tom Boone, all Presbyterian pastors. And in the middle, Dr. Zuhair Fathala, who is the only ruling elder left in this church. This church in Basra, one of three Presbyterian churches that remain in Iraq today, is a hard scrabble place to be the church. It is a largely Shiite majority context. It is a place that is um, stultifyingly hot in the summer. I was once there in August in, the, um, in Basra. It was 134 degrees. I thought brain cells died at that temperature, and I think some of them did. 134 degrees. It is a place that has been beset by war and conflict. A car bomb has gone off in front of the church. Not surprisingly, not too many pastors rushing to pastor the church in Basra. 
But for 10 years, this faithful elder remained in this congregation, even though he was, is a noted and respected reconstructive surgeon. His specialty is in reconstructing the faces of children born with defects, with, with birth defects. He could have, have immigrated out of the country at any time. He did his training in England and Ireland. He chose to stay to lead this church because there was no pastor. This elder remained behind. So in 2010, I began to make plans to return to Iraq. I had been there in 2003 the last time, but it had gotten too dangerous, and the church would not let me come. They said, no, not yet, Marilyn. It is too dangerous. But in 2010, the end of 2010, Zuhair contacted me and said, now, now is the time. I put together this team. We showed up in 2011, and as we prepared for our coming, I knew that Zuhair had been carrying the responsibility of pastoring this church of preaching every Sunday in addition to his day job as a surgeon and as a professor at the medical college. And I said, Zuhair, I have four Presbyterian pastors. I have a bumper crop of pastors coming with me. Would you like someone to preach? <gasps> yes, Marilyn, please have one of them preach. Then there was a slight pause and he said, and please have one of them be prepared to administer communion because we have not had communion for two years. And I paused a little bit, and I said, Zuhair, I'm an elder, and I said, I know my, I know my responsibilities as an elder. You are, you are empowered to administer the sacraments without the presence of a pastor there. He said, Marilyn, I know that, and we tried several times but people were just not comfortable without an ordained pastor. It was a cultural thing. He said, so we have not had communion. Well, I said, Zuhair, not only will you have a pastor, you get the full contingent, all four of them, and there they stand behind the communion table. Now, what I did not know, because I was sitting in the congregation like you, but my pastors were up front, and as they would tell later, as they lifted the covering from those communion elements and the bread and the wine were exposed people began to weep people began to weep and as that bread was lifted commemorating the broken body of our lord and that wine that cup that was poured out christ's blood people took photographs to capture that memory. And I thought, when is the last time that these elements brought me to tears at their preciousness, at their reminder of this table that stretches around the world? Well, it does now because of this meal shared with this family of faith. Dear people of God, celebrate the fact that God brought us into community, that he knits us together as this community of faith through his son as co-heirs with God through that power of the Holy Spirit. And as we gather here at this family reunion feast, call to mind the wonder, the mystical union that we have with the church in Basra and in Damascus and in Zagazig and here to Zionsville. Thanks be to God.